0: Greetings and welcome to the Alteryx Second Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator or technical assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is now my pleasure to introduce your host, Chris Lowell. Thank you, Mr. Lowe. You may begin.
1: Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us today to review Altrix's second quarter 2020 financial results. With me on the call today are Dean Stoker, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Kevin Rubin, Chief Financial Officer. During this call, we may make statements related to our business that are forward-looking statements under federal securities laws. These statements are not guarantees of future performance, they are subject to a variety of risks and uncertainty. Our actual results could differ materially from expectations reflected in any forward-looking statements. For a discussion of the material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, please refer to our SEC filings available on the SEC's website and the Investor Relations section of our website, as well as the risks and other important factors discussed in today's earnings release. Additionally, non-GAAP financial measures will be discussed on today's conference call. A reconciliation of these measures to their most directly comparable GAAP financial measures can be found in today's earnings release. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to our Chief Executive Officer, Dean Stoker. Dean? Thanks, Chris, and thanks to everyone on the call for joining us today. We hope that everyone continues
2: to be healthy and safe during this challenging time. Let me give you a brief overview of our Q2 results, followed by some detail on COVID's impact on our go-to-market activity. Then we'll dive into our strategy for navigating the uncertainty that we expect will continue for some time. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, Q2 is a quarter for innovation, so I will bring you up to date on three meaningful additions to our product portfolio and how they are resonating with customers and advancing our role in the analytic process automation category. Kevin will then walk through our second quarter financial performance and provide our outlook for the third quarter and high-level commentary on what we're expecting for the remainder of the year. In Q2, we generated $96 million in revenue, up 17% year-over-year. While bookings were flat, we did exit the quarter with over 40% year-over-year growth in annual recurring revenue. Our Q2 gross margins remained strong at 91%, and we added 271 net new customers, including six of the global 2,000. We now have more than 6,700 customers around the world, including 37% of the Global 2000. Net expansion was 126% overall and 137% for the G2K. Finally, our balance sheet remains strong with just under a billion dollars of cash and equivalents. The global dislocation experienced as a result of the COVID pandemic, followed by its shelter-in-place orders, altered our customers' buying behaviors in Q2. We observed notable changes, such as higher levels of scrutiny on spending across all sectors, resulting in longer sales cycles, smaller deal sizes, and less favorable linearity in the quarter. Based on what we see today, we do not anticipate a material improvement in business conditions during 2020. At the same time, we believe that COVID is creating a longer-term tailwind for our business. Companies that lacked analytic rigor or those with data challenges sought out a quick ROI solution to help them adapt to rapidly changing business conditions. Many found their answer with Alteryx. We believe this dynamic provided a tailwind for new business during Q2, as we saw solid land activity in high-risk verticals, such as transportation, accommodations, food service, and retail. We believe this illustrates that data and analytic capabilities are important, particularly in challenging times, although initial deal sizes were slightly smaller than they have been historically. The industries and functional use cases Ultrix addresses continue to be quite broad. We landed new customers, including Levi Strauss do Brazil, Industria and Commercio Limited, Petroba, Banco Santander, and Omega in Latam. Tesal Group Limited, Samsung Biologics, 5G Japan, Toyota Systems Corporation, and China Construction Bank in APJ, Suncore Energy, Match Group, Snap, Blackline, and ServiceNow in North America, and Bayer AG, Mondelez, Statistics Center Abu Dhabi, Merck Chemicals, Gutter Airways, Southern Water Services, and L'Oreal in EMEA. While we see incredible ROI stories every quarter, in Q2, two stood out. The first example was like so many activities during this pandemic, delivered virtually in a webinar in early July. In the session, Neil Lebowitz, Vice President of Tax at SiriusXM, described the journey his tax team had in landing and expanding with the Alteryx APA platform. They began in Q3 of last year with an adoption license to create efficiencies in compliance and provision process, along with developing cash models for the complex tasks of federal and state apportionment. Neal stated that, quote, was easier to use and more likely to be adapted by a larger audience, close quote. Early use cases that drove hundreds of hours of savings led to a third expand in Q2 of this year to support shared services and accounting operations with a focus on automation and its ROI. The business case for analytic process automation was defined in 157 use cases with potential savings of more than 9,200 hours annually. In a period of just 90 days, they automated more than 40 use cases and contributing more than 2,500 hours of annual savings. Over their short nine-month journey of transformation, Neal indicated that COVID has successfully forced them to think more critically through a financial lens to justify technology investments. We are super excited to count SiriusXM as an Ultrix Land and Expand customer. Additionally, when you save lives, ROI is immeasurable. With the assistance of our Riyadh Saudi Arabia partner, Quant Data and Analytics, we closed Saudi Arabia Ministry of Health primarily for a COVID-19 use case. The ministry manages local government hospital and medical activities. They were in a trial experience when COVID started. With the Ultrix APA platform, they were able to automate the collection of COVID test results from national labs, integrated with hospital data and data on those who were quarantined in hotels. They then built network analysis workflows to understand the virus reproduction rate and track its spread. According to the customer, This helped them slow the spread of the virus and save lives of frontline healthcare workers and the population at large. The power of Ulfric gave them insights into how, when, and where to respond to COVID-19 cases and who to quarantine, what facilities to close, and how to allocate hospital bed space. These use cases are 100% aligned to our company mission to unleash the thrill inherent in solving problems using our platform to fuel remarkable business and social outcomes. Let's turn to COVID's impact on our Q2 expansion activity. As with new business, we saw expansion business sales cycle slow. Conversations with customers indicated that many sought to leverage their existing investments rather than undertake large new projects and consequently postponed or downsized larger initiatives. To address this new normal of buying behavior, we increased our use of adoption licenses. An adoption license is a short-term contract, generally six months, that allows a customer to effectively take Alteryx for an extended test drive to prove value and gauge demand before they make a a longer-term commitment. Adoption licenses allow us to engage with broader audiences at larger enterprise for an extended period of time to help prove out digital transformation initiatives. It is also a way for us to continue to engage with and support our customers in these trying times, and also acts as an insurance policy of sorts for our customers. In Q2, adoption agreements increased by over 60% year over year, and more than 100% sequentially. As you heard in the SiriusXM story, these have been a successful sales strategy for us since we initiated, initiated our land and expand model. Historically, upon expiration of the adoption agreement, we see a large number convert to departmental or enterprise license agreements, accelerating expansion velocity. While we cannot predict when macro conditions will improve, we can and will continue to support our customers as they navigate these difficult times. Turning to retention. As we discussed on our Q1 call, we once again experienced high customer churn, particularly in smaller organizations in highly impacted verticals and regions mostly impacted by COVID. Dollar-based churn was predominantly seen in downsized contracts as customers brace themselves for potential economic impacts related to the pandemic and rationalized existing investments. As has been the case in prior quarters, most of the customer churn was driven by organizations with only a single designer seat that had not yet expanded. It is also important to note that customer churn continued to be concentrated in the commercial sector, which we define as less than $100 million in annual revenue regardless of the vertical. Turning to our ecosystem on the heels of announcing our global elite relationship with PwC in Q1, in Q2 we broadened our partner network by adding two strong technology partners in Adobe and UiPath. We believe that having an open and vibrant ecosystem is an important element to bringing our analytic process automation vision to life as the market for data, analytics, and automation continues to converge. During Q2, Ulterich delivered significant innovation to the market with the launch of Intelligent Suite, Alteryx Analytics Hub, and our next generation AMP engine. Intelligence Suite brings to market a powerful designer add-on bundle of assisted modeling, which enables analysts in the line of business to build robust machine learning and advanced analytic models in a code-free environment through a guided step-by-step process. Intelligence Suite's text mining and natural language processing building blocks also deliver improved capabilities we're work, working with semi structured and unstructured data through OCR recognition, sentiment analysis, and topic modeling as a result. Early feedback from customers has been positive, and, and early customers include Siemens Gas and Power, Bell Canada, Cadoba Restaurant Corporation, Mars Incorporated, General Dynamics, and the U.S. Navy's Naval Research Lab. Ultrex Analytics Hub sets the stage for the next generation of analytic process automation by up-leveling automation, collaboration, and data discovery in a secure and governed way, allowing everyone across the entire enterprise to benefit from actionable data and analytics. Hub blurs the lines between the design time experience in designer and runtime automation in server and provides an affordable path for smaller work teams to leverage the benefits of automation. In future releases, we intend to see greater integration with some of the capabilities of Connect and Promote, auto modeling capabilities currently being developed, and a potential marketplace for third parties to monetize assets to the growing audience of Ultrix users around the world. We also introduced our new Ultrix Multi-Threaded Processing Engine, or AMP, allowing customers to execute workflows simultaneously, resulting in processing efficiency on larger data sets with complex analytical processes. While not a standalone SKU, the Amp Engine is shipped with every designer, server, and analytics hub, and we are delighted to see impressive efficiency gains in analytic processing. Alteryx is proud and humbled to have been named a customer's choice recipient in the Gardner Peer Insights for data science and machine learning platforms for the third consecutive year. Let me now give you an update on how Alteryx is adjusting to operating in today's fluid environment. We continue to operate primarily in a work-from-home environment, although we have started to reopen select offices in regions where it is permitted and where it is safe to do so. However, in regions where offices have reopened, we will not require associates to return to work if they are not comfortable doing so and will continue to support remote work in the near term. The health and safety of our associates is our primary objective. While overall, the Ultrax team adapted well to working at home, We did struggle to effectively onboard and enable some of our new hires, particularly new sales reps, learning our systems, playbooks, and new product offerings. Many of these new sales reps had very limited, if any, time on site at one of our offices and haven't ramped up as quickly as historical cohorts. To address this specific challenge and restore overall sales and marketing efficiency to historical levels, we are or have made the following operational adjustments. We're improving sales enablement and further refining our learning and development capabilities to help reps ramp up at the same levels they have historically. We have adopted a new learning platform, adjusted sales playbooks to account for our additional offerings, and are creating enhanced content to foster learning in a fully remote environment. While improving sales enablement, we are also enhancing our engagement with global alliances and tech partners to expand our sales footprint. With the negative financial realities taking hold in many verticals, mid-market and SMB organizations, we are reallocating some sales resources. For example, we have reassigned some of our reps from the commercial teams to our enterprise and customer success teams to help support larger expansion and customer renewal activity. We will continue to realign and enhance marketing, community and support initiatives to digital experiences to reflect today's reality. As we discussed with you last quarter, we launched a virtual support center which continues to see strong engagement levels and our community site continues to be a great resource for customers to connect with each other, while in-person opportunities to do so are limited. Maintaining profitability is an important strategic objective, so we continue to closely monitor, and if necessary, we'll adjust operating expenses to appropriately align to our operating plan. We are monitoring key performance indicators, such as pipeline creation and conversion rates, average deal sizes, sales cycles, renewal rates, and overall discounting to ensure that our top and bottom line performance is aligned. I am proud of the work our associates have done in the most uncertain of times, but what I am most proud of this quarter is the work that our team has done on our ADAPT program. As we discussed with you last quarter, ADAPT, our Advancing Data Science and Analytics Potential Together program, is a way to give back to the global analytics community and help upskill those negatively impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. Since launching in early May, we have welcomed almost 10,000 participants from 125 countries into the program. We are excited to bring more people into the analytics fold and provide them with the resources to help them be part of today's data-driven economy. With hundreds of individuals becoming certified in our platform and obtaining their nano degrees in business analytics on the Udacity learning system, we are doing our part to help future-proof their careers. In closing, despite the continued uncertainty that I believe will remain for the foreseeable future, we remain steadfast in our belief that Ultrix is well positioned to execute on our vision for analytic process automation. We are confident that we will emerge from this crisis stronger than ever and in a solid position to drive higher levels of growth and margin expansion. With that, let me turn the call over to Kevin to discuss our Q2 financial performance and our outlook
3: for Q3, as well as some commentary for the remainder of the year, Kevin. Thank you, Dean. Before jumping into the numbers, let me provide you some additional color on the business impacts we experienced in Q2 as a result of the current pandemic. Last quarter, we highlighted that new business activity in April was consistent with the levels in April 2019. This gave us some degree of confidence that customers were reengaging after the abrupt slowdown we saw at the end of March. However, as we have typical software linearity in our business, meaning the majority of our bookings are generally concentrated in the back half of the quarter, changes in customer buying behavior did not become apparent to us until later in the quarter. These changes included elongated sales cycles resulting from customers having more robust approval processes and higher levels of scrutiny, smaller deal sizes, and less favorable linearity, with some transactions slipping into Q3. During the quarter, we added 271 net new customers, and now has 6,714 customers, including 737 or 37% of the Global 2000. Within our new logos for the quarter, we landed new customers in high and medium risk verticals, demonstrating that even in these challenging times, analytics remains very important. The changes in customer buying behavior were most evident in our expansion business, particularly for transactions that were not attached to a renewal. Along with these trends, sales and marketing productivity declined for the quarter, and we saw a moderate increase in our churn rates globally. As Dean mentioned, there are a number of actions we are undertaking in the near term to drive efficiency in our business. I will lay these these actions out by strategic investment priority. First, sales and marketing. As we discussed previously, our primary investment area has been expanding our global go-to-market footprint. Q2 was a challenging customer-buying environment And as a result, we are focusing on improving sales rep training and enablement, reevaluating our partner engagement, redeploying sales resources to focus on higher value opportunities, and adjusting marketing spend to reflect the digital reality we are living in today. We will continue to monitor key activity levels affecting unit economics, including our trial activity and conversion, pipeline creation, sales cycles, average deal sizes, contract duration, renewal rates, and overall discounting levels to inform us of how or if we continue to invest during the remainder of the year. Our second investment area is product development. We expect to continue to invest in our product development efforts to advance our product roadmap in support of APA and digital transformation. We believe being able to continue to advance our product roadmap despite the short-term challenges will better position us when we emerge from the pandemic and current economic dislocation. Our third investment area is back office, support, and infrastructure. We are critically evaluating investments in this area in direct response to our go-to-market dynamics. We will closely monitor momentum in our go-to-market and make future investments in this area as deemed necessary. In the near term, we are focused on ensuring these teams are operating efficiently in support of our global teams. As we navigate the remainder of the year, we intend to balance future growth and profitability appropriately until we begin to see renewed strength in our go-to-market. We have historically demonstrated the financial discipline of balancing investment for growth and profitability, and we intend to manage our cost structure based on top line dynamics. Now turning back to the numbers, revenue was $96.2 million and increases 17% year-over-year. US revenue was sixty six million dollars, an increase of fourteen percent year over year, while international revenue was thirty point two million dollars, an increase of twenty five percent year over year. Growth in North America was negatively, impact- negatively impacted by lower expansion activity, specifically within our enterprise and global strategic customer teams. Internationally, almost most regions, although most regions did experience weakness, we saw strength in the Middle East and Asia. Overall, average contract duration for Q2 was approximately two years, consistent with prior periods. Net expansion for Q2 was 126 percent, and net expansion for the Global 2000 was 137 percent. We ended the quarter with over $430 million of ARR, or annual recurring revenue, which was up over 40 percent year-over-year. Going forward, we intend to provide ARR as an additional operating measure to help investors assess the health of our business. Before moving on, I want to remind everyone that unless otherwise stated, I will be discussing non-GAAP results. Please refer to our press release for a full reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP results. Our Q2 margin was 91%, consistent with Q2 2019. Our Q2 operating expenses were $88 million compared to $73.4 million in the same period last year. The increase in expenses is primarily attributable to increases in our overall headcount levels. Our Q2 operating loss was effectively breakeven. Net income was $1.7 million, or two cents per share, based on 69.6 million non-GAAP, fully diluted weighted average shares outstanding. Turning now to the GAAP balance sheet and statement of cash flows. In the second quarter, we used $13.4 million in cash flow from operations primarily related to timing of payments related to canceled events and other working capital needs. Year-to-date, we have generated $6.6 million, of, million dollars of positive operating cash flow, and as of June 30th, had $974.4 million in cash, cash equivalent, short-term, and long-term investments. We ended the quarter with 1,515 associates, up from 1,478 associates at the end of Q1 2020. And 1,076 Associates at the end of Q2, 2019. Now turning to our outlook. The current macroeconomic environment continues to be in a state of turmoil, and we expect conditions will remain fluid. Taking this into account, we are providing revenue, operating income, and EPS guidance for Q3 consistent with historical patterns. We are also providing a full-year outlook for revenue and ARR. We emphasize that our guidance is subject to various important risks and cautionary factors referenced in our call today and in today's earnings release. Our guidance considers the following. The overall macroeconomic environment continues to be as challenging as we experience in Q2 2020. An expanded guidance range to account for increased uncertainty of new business, timing of renewal, variability in contract duration, and slightly higher churn rates. The average duration of our subscription agreements will be approximately two years. However, there may be headwinds relative to contract duration as compared to the second half of 2019. Approximately 35 to 40% of our TCB booked in the quarter will be recognized up front, with the remainder recognized ratably over the time of the contract. For Q3, approximately 70% of our revenue will be recognized from deferred revenue and scheduled multi-year billings. Approximately 15% is expected from contract renewals, and the remainder expected to come from net new business closed in the quarter. We have historically seen 80 to 85% of in-period bookings coming from existing customers, which is generally in line with what we saw in the first half of 2020. For QC 2020, we expect gap revenue in the range of $111 million to $115 million, representing year-over-year growth of approximately 7 to 11% we expect our non-GAAP operating income to be in the range of $8 million to $12 million and non-GAAP net income per fully diluted share of nine to 14 cents. This assumes 71 million non-GAAP weighted average fully diluted shares outstanding. Again, assuming no major changes to macro conditions, we believe that revenue for the full year 2020 will be approximately $460 million to $465 million or a year-over-year increase of approximately 11%. Additionally, we expect to exit 2020 with approximately $500 million of ARR, or annual recurring revenue, which translates into over 30% year-over-year growth. In summary, while we are in unprecedented times, we believe that Alteryx remains well-positioned given our strong market, product-market fit, significant market opportunity given the low penetration into our total addressable market, powerful business model, and strong financial position with nearly $1 billion of cash on the balance sheet. Finally, I would also like to extend my special thanks to all of the Alteryx Associates across the globe who have adapted to our work-from-home reality and have continued to delight our customers each and every day in these uncertain times. And with that, we'll open up the call to questions. Operator?
0: Thank you. We will now have our question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. The confirmation tone will indicate that your line is in the question queue. If you would like to remove your question, please press star two. For those of you using speaker equipment, it may be necessary for you to pick up your headset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we now vote for questions. Our first question comes from Tyler Radke, with City. Please proceed with your question.
4: This is, you know, between new business, duration, and uh, in, churn. In uh, I guess just on duration, I, I know, Kevin, you, you said duration was about two years, but just curious if there was, Any kind of year-over-year headwind, Um, I I know you said you you may expect that a little bit in in the the second half of the year Um, because, you know, as as you mentioned, bookings were flat year-over-year, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, whether whether there was any duration impact on on the Q2 numbers that that helped drive the, the flat bookings and, you know, I think billings grew much faster than that. So just trying to understand kind of the discrepancy there.
3: Hey Tyler, thank you. Uh, we did not hear the first part of the question, but if if the end of it, if you're just asking for the uh, direct contract duration dynamics relative to kind of Q2 in the first half, I'm happy to answer that. But I want to make sure I'm answering the right question. Yeah, it was it was mainly
4: just are you seeing was there a duration headwind if I look at Q2 20 versus. Q219, because your bookings looked like they were flat year-over-year, year, but it looked like billings, um, you know, were, grew around 25%. So I just wanted to understand if there was a duration headwind on on the bookings.
3: Yeah, no, th- thanks for clarifying. Uh, we did not see any uh, material uh, change in contract duration as it related to Q2 versus Q2. And and, and okay. to, to continue, the, the – uh, what, what we experienced with billings was really a, a timing effect um, that you know that came into Q2. Okay, uh,
4: and and then I guess just a, a question maybe for Dean. Um, you know, I think as you look at the the broad customer base of trips and you know, there's there's tons and tons of different use cases out there, from uh, you know data prep to advanced analytics to kind of you know, automation within finance departments. And I'm curious if, if you've observed, you know, if, if any of those use cases um, are stickier. You know, I would I would think, you know, some of the work you're doing with PwC in terms of modernizing um, tax and, and finance, uh, obviously the, those departments are, you know, still have to do their taxes and, and whatnot in, in this environment. So just kind of curious if, if there's any kind of discrepancy between, um, you know, business trends based on the use case.
2: Uh, no, I don't think there's really been any major sea change in, in the the use of Alteryx for any uh, functional area. We, we I, I would say that we did see a bit more scenario planning with Alteryx in, in FP&A teams uh, in Q2, and probably we'll continue to see that in Q3. I think that, that uh, for the last six months or so, more and more activity is around automating the Office of Finance, uh, very similar to, to what you saw in the SiriusXM uh, use case. The, the, the partnerships with folks like PwC bring us uh, subject matter expertise for sure. Uh, mo- most of the, the, the churn that we saw in the business was actually a, a commercial accounts that you know, either couldn't expand or just didn't have uh, TAM available. And so I think what we saw in the quarter was, just elongated sales cycles and uh, smaller average deal sizes for the most part. And that's why we kicked in with our our adoption licenses. So the use cases remain the same. The selling uh, cycle changed a bit. The vehicle uh, wasn't a new one. It's been time-tested with the adoption licenses. And uh, so we we continue to be pretty excited about what's happening in in the space. I I think that uh, a lot of the large organizations have – Paused major transformation efforts. We saw a lot more mini and micro transformation efforts so that uh, folks in the, the CXO office can continue to uh, march down this journey to digital transformation
4: success. If I could just sneak one clarification. W- when you talk about some of these license agreements where, you know, maybe you give an unlimited uh, amount of users for a period of time just to kind of trial and, and see demand, When do those periods – when when does that typically expire? Is it year-end? Does that kind of align with your Q4? I just wanted to clarify that.
2: Well, we have different dilts. So we we control the three dials that matter to us and to the customers, Um, and they are the number of seats and servers. We don't do unlimited. Uh, We have a price point for that that use, and – uh, a duration, and s- sometimes, depending on the, the maturity or the culture the organization has or the vision that they have for transformation, it may be three months, it may be six months, it might be nine months. What we do know is that we've had very good conversion success historically uh, with this. Um, we saw a number of new business uh, ads this last quarter with adoption licenses, which typically is not the case. So. We're helping out uh, customers who don't want to give up on their journey but have have slowed down the velocity of that journey. And, you know, coming out of the the, uh, adoption period tends to lead to much bigger expansion. We're not sure if that will be the case this time, if they'll get pushed from Q3 to Q4 or from Q4 to Q1. Uh, We do know the vehicle works. Thank you. Everything.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Derek Wood with Cohen and Company. Please proceed with your question.
4: Uh, thanks, Kevin. Uh, uh, you gave A R R. That's helpful. You gave it last quarter. Um, I think you just gave a number last quarter, but, but now you're giving a number and growth. Um, can you tell us what how A R R grew in Q1 and, and what growth was in um, in 2019? So we have those numbers.
3: Yeah, thanks, Derek. Um, You know, it it is a metric that we've kind of ripped out at at various different milestones over the years, and uh, more recently we did provide it in uh, both uh, Q1 and and now going forward. Uh, We aren't providing what those interim uh, periods are, but, you know, I think there's enough information you can kind of interpolate to come up with your own estimate. Well, I think it's
2: important to remember. It's important, Derek, to remember that we guided to 30% growth on ARR uh, to the end of the year. So uh, a healthy, strong, growing business in a uh, very large space for data science and analytics. And today we're the only publicly traded company that focuses in on this space with a code-free, code-friendly platform to uh, help people see success in digital transformation.
4: Yeah, thanks. And, and, Dean, I just, I, I wanted to parse this a little bit more in terms of what you guys are seeing, because, because there's, uh, you know, we, we've seen other software companies weather the storm a, a bit better through Q2, particularly in the enterprise. And clearly you've got some, some more headwinds, and, and it caught you by surprise, um, going in the back part of the quarter. So, I, uh, I mean, I guess if you look at the internal and external factors on the external, you know, is there something that, uh, with respect to your end markets that may, you know, be facing, you know, greater budget pressure, or maybe there's a change competitively, or internal, was there, um, you know, some development where maybe, you know, there were seats oversold and there's more absorption needed to be taking now? Um, maybe you could just kind of walk us through a little bit more thoughts on internal versus external impacts. Yeah, no,
2: I, I think it, it was a tale of two quarters. It was the things we can't control, COVID, Uh, and its spread and its impact on on businesses, and then the things we can control. And so what we did see, you know, it it was almost like three-quarters in one in Q2 with April being very different than May and and June. Um, So obviously there was an air pocket that had a a big blip in it for April. We didn't see actually much improvement, although we anticipated some improvement in in May. So linearity uh, wasn't necessarily on our side. So we, we actually took control of the things that we can, can, take, can take control of. We, for example, rationalized our marketing spend. Almost everything has gone to uh, a virtual reality from moving everything, all the excitement from our Inspire conference, which drives people uh, excited about the platform to, to, uh, to buy. We've moved all that excitement to the community. We've seen a sixty percent, 68% growth in the monthly active users. Uh, of community, we've seen an 82% engagement uh, in, in, in engaged users on the community. We've launched our virtual solutions center where the 1,000 customers continue to advance their learning and understanding and the value that our platform brings. Uh, we saw the discovery program launch, which is a um, – and these were launched actually pre-COVID. Almost all these activities began pre-COVID. Uh, a 30-day trial program that's kind of a guided discovery effort to get to value quickly. Uh, we held 235 uh, virtual webinars, including a, a live stream for the APA event. Uh, we've iterated a bunch of things in the sales organization, uh, allocating people to the, the customer success team and, and the enterprise expansion team. So we, there's a whole bunch of things that, that we, we can't change. But what we do know is that the conversations at the strategic level continue to be very strong. We're quite bullish on what's going to happen as people start to emerge from COVID. And, uh, frankly, I think that the use of adoption licenses help, helps us in the long run.
4: If I could squeeze one more on that last point, um, can you give us a sense of the mix of, Adoption license percentage of total transactions, or some metric, in, in Q2, and how you see that moving into the second half.
2: I uh, can't give you
4: that. I think that I think what's telling about it is that
2: we had a, more than a 60% growth in the use of adoption licenses over same period last year, and I think the most telling is the 100% increase in adoption licenses in a mostly pre-COVID quarter in Q1 to a COVID world in, in Q2, so uh, it, was a, it was a quick change to the model as soon as we recognized that there were some things we couldn't control. Organizations were standing up, uh, new teams to scrutinize you know, every kind of a spend. Uh, they were um, delaying cycles, they were inserting as much bud in the process as possible. And uh, so the adoption licenses took out as much friction as we could possibly take out being some of the things we, we can control.
4: Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Itai Kidron with Oppenheimer. Please proceed with your question.
5: Uh, thanks, uh, Thanks, guys. And Dean, maybe just kind of following up, but then on, on again on these adoption licenses, can you clarify if the pricing of those is materially Uh, lower, and I'm trying to gauge again, just to make sure I understand this, whether this is something that you chose to try and push on customers given the challenges you had in closing deals and and renewals, or this is something that customers came to you and said, listen, we're having a bit of a challenge here. Can we do something temporary and then revisit somewhere down the road?
3: Yeah, we have, uh,
2: standards used for, for adoption licenses. There's some flexibility in it. Again, it goes back to the vision the customer has, the, the aptitude, uh, and appetite for, for growth, uh, of, of our platform. Uh, I would say that, that, uh, we offered them up typically as an ask from customers who would say, things have slowed down, we're not going to be able to get this deal through, so let's figure out what the true demand is. Uh, they, they, t- they tend to be anywhere between, let's say, 25 and 100 grand. Uh, I, I don't have the exact count for Q2. What I do know it was a large increase in the number of adoptions.
0: Okay,
5: and um, as you uh, and with regards to the business itself, you talked about commercial. Um, I just want to make sure again that the, 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 the buying behavior that has changed. It applies across your business and across
2: all verticals, or this is just a commercial and impacted industries? Well, I think the, the uh, elongated sales cycles occurred across the entirety of the, the base of the business. I, I think that the uh, churn was mostly impacted in commercial businesses, uh, much of it in the highly impacted verticals, but at the same time, 20% of our uh, new customers came from high-risk verticals, tended, tended, tending to be in larger organizations in those verticals. Uh, some of those examples are like Gutter Airways, who, you know, I don't know if they had a plane in the air, but, but landed with us to really understand what was happening in their operations.
0: Got it, very good.
2: Thanks, guys. Good luck.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Chris Merwin, Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question.
5: Great. Thanks so much for taking my question. Um, I-, I wanted to ask you about the cloud
2: strategy. I mean, the thing we keep hearing from companies is that as they talk to customers, they're increasingly looking to migrate all different types of systems to the cloud. And I know that, you know, Obviously, some of your customers today uh, have a cloud instance of the product, but um,
5: are you thinking about, you know, trying to migrate more and more of your customers to the cloud uh, in in
2: time or architecting more cloud-native products? Uh, Is is there more of an imperative to do that, you know, particularly in light of what seems to be an acceleration of digital transformations for for, uh, customers? Thank you. Sure. Thank you for the question. Uh, So everyone knows, we actually have quite a few customers who are in the cloud. We have uh, our server deployments for automation and analyst processing up in AWS and, and Azure for as little as nine dollars an hour that you can execute uh, with just a few keystrokes. We actually have had that up there for three or four years with almost uh, no activity, and that's not to suggest that cloud isn't important. But uh, we're hybrid. We we understand that we want to be close to where the data lives, and uh, in large organizations, especially in the global 2000. Most of their data hasn't moved. In fact, earlier this week, I was on the phone with a chief data officer of a uh, Fortune 50 uh, insurance company on the East Coast, and uh, he indicated that uh, they've been dabbling with the cloud for quite some time, but not a single bit of customer data was currently in the cloud. And so I I think that – that we, we've been focused on cloud for a very long time. We we are in the process of of uh, a cloud based uh, designer, mostly to ease the burden of deployment of of large um, implementations in in organizations around the world. Uh, you know, we have we, if you attended our APA event, you, you would have heard that PwC indicated that they have 55,000 users of Altrix. Now, it's a hassle to deploy quarterly releases um, you know of an image for, for those users so having a browser based delivery would be better. The the customers are not pushing us for a multi-tenant SaaS service, at least not today. Um, you know, the data is living everywhere. It, it's going to be hybrid forever. And um, you know, we're, we'll we'll live where the customer tells us to live and uh, we'll be prepared when the the customer says that the data gravity has shifted. It just has not shifted, and I don't think it's going to shift for quite some time.
5: Got it. Uh, thanks
2: very much.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Brad Sills of Bank of America. Please proceed with your question.
4: Okay. Oh, hey, guys, thanks for taking my question. I,
2: I wanted to ask more about the um, adoption licenses. What has the, your experience been historically in terms of – of uh, those types of licenses to the expansion from from there? Well, we we see uh, significant conversion rates, uh, considerably higher than our normal conversion rates. Uh, That's because we have strategic conversations typically top-down. We don't offer adoption licenses to the analyst who's just trying to solve a data problem and might have 10 users in their functional area. It's typically someone who's uh, moving down the path of of, of major transformation who isn't sure that they've got 200 users or 2,000 users or 20,000 users. So we're we're pretty careful on how we move those dials of the adoption licenses. We have seen great success. Uh, We've tried not to rely on them, but in a time like Q2, as customers struggle to Uh, figure out how they were going to get to their successes. We came to uh, their rescue to help them out, and it will work out for us in the long run. Whether that converts in the period uh, in which the adoption license uh, expires or not is yet to be seen. Um, Again, we're bullish on what's going to happen in the future. It's just a matter of timing when we're going to recover from COVID.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Jack Anders with Needham. Please proceed with your question.
5: Hi, good afternoon. It's Con in for Jack Andrews today. I was wondering if you could provide some color on some of your comments on longer deal cycles. Can you provide some numbers around average deal time before and how has this changed
4: today? And how should we be thinking about um, what you can control in terms of sales and marketing that gets these these sales cycles back to normal?
2: Well, we've clearly looked at every aspect of our sales and and marketing, go-to-market activities. We've rationalized a bunch of things away. We've moved most everything to virtual. Uh, We've doubled down on ways to support and engage our our customers. Um, I won't give you the magnitude of the deal sizes, but they are – I wouldn't say they're uh, extremely smaller. Uh, They're a a, a smidgen smaller, but the sales cycles are a bit longer. And – you no, it there are some ways you can control some of it and there's other ways you can't. Most of the customers that we sell to, in particular, the top-down selling motion, uh, most organizations who are going to uh, have large expansions with us inserted their own teams just like we did where we have scrutiny over uh, big spend and uh, committees get get more involved and when they're all working remotely. Um, it becomes more and more of a challenge. I think we actually illustrated a customer from q one that was just that a very large expand that had sixteen um, different uh, signers across four different countries and and uh, those are just challenging things for customers and q two uh, kind of accelerated that that change and uh, so we embraced it in in the ways we could and um, we 're doing all that we can to to well, you know, you know that we've been very uh, uh, capital efficient, so we're never going to take these situations lightly. We're going to look at all of our own spend, and we're going to make sure that we're investing in the things that drive the most value for
3: shareholders. Thank you. That's helpful. And can you talk about how your recently announced APA messaging has resonated so far with customers? Um, how is this revised go
5: to market health in terms of new lands uh, specifically?
4: Well, it's it's
2: been great, actually. The The APA message – Uh, We started that whole process uh, back in late summer of last year. We recognized that what was happening is all of our conversations uh, have become more strategic and and our platform has become more critical for uh, transformation. Remember that that the APA message is all about this convergence of uh, analytics, data science, and automation. And it's at the forefront of, of... certainly the C-Suites uh, mind, and the APA messaging
1: uh,
2: came up really well in June. We, we launched the the uh, category first week in, in June. We had large attendance at our live event. We continue to have meaningful conversations with, with both new customers and, and uh, existing customers. By the way, the the uh, Fortune 50 insurance company that was on the phone with that I mentioned earlier, He actually is a large customer of Alteryx, and we were talking about the APA message, and he said, well, your APA platform not only allows me to do things better, but it allows me to do better things, meaning we give them all their time back so they can focus in on more strategic initiatives to drive higher values uh, in terms of outcomes. So the response has been great, and our product innovations that we rolled out, uh, um, Fit very cleanly and nicely into that APA messaging. Thank you. Appreciate the color. Sure.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Bavan Suri with William Blair. Please proceed with your question.
5: Hey guys, uh, I know it's been a while, but thanks for uh, taking my questions. Been good to catch up, Kevin. I guess I wanted to, um, to touch a little bit just on on sort of uh, backing up a little bit the logic here. So um, in tough times when we think about core use case, like understanding price elasticity or how to, you know, create new pricing models that drive greater usage, you know, $5 foot long subway, et cetera, it feels like the use case for the, the core technology should take up, like the ability to say how do we drive better profitability, better pricing, better segmentation, um, better um, allocation on, on stores, shelves, et cetera. Help me sort of reconcile a little bit with what you're seeing in terms of the larger customers. Again, commercial I understand. So these larger to totally get the value, and so in that sense, I feel like the usage should be picking up dramatically as people try to figure out how do I optimize in this environment.
2: Well, I I think the timing is is kind of what's at stake here. It's not the interest in the technology or the value proposition that the, the technology drives. Sure. Uh, when when companies are down digital transformation efforts, they want to ensure that it's not a single use case that's driving the value. They they care about, well, what SiriusXM cared about, 157 use cases, uh, and they wanted to make sure that they could cover off on a large number of those use cases before they actually did expand. I will say that as we've gone more from in in the last uh, 12 months, maybe even 18 months, more and more from a a small land to the top-down selling motion with, with larger lands and larger expands. Uh, one of the things that we've also done even in, in the last 90 days is uh, leverage our value engineering team for more of the strategic discussions that we're having with, with the C-suite. So we put together a value engineering team uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. <clears throat> we've perfected the, the, the playbook for value engineering in a few of the verticals. <clears throat> and we begin, we've begun uh, socializing that effort with a broader part of our go-to-market team. So we do drive value. I think you see that in every customer you talk to. You see that in all the use cases that you uh, find on, 250 use cases that you find on community. And so the key is actually uh, driving more of it so that uh, sellers have that value proposition at the the moment of of inflection for customers to buy. Got it, got it, got it. And then maybe
5: touching a little bit on the product. When I think about um, the um, AMP product, you know, you sort of think about the scale of what you're doing now in terms of data cleansing, data prep, sort of pulling in all that data together in a much bigger scale. Do you feel like you're moving back into the stack a little bit, to so that ETL space at all? Because it's still a business user, still sort of low code, no code. So help me think about sort of the the, the sort of where you're headed in terms of that direction. Is, is there sort of a strategic direction to head back towards a little deeper in the stack there? I'm mean, gonna have a quick follow.
2: Uh, no, the the AMP engine is an in-memory engine. Uh, it is it. it is uh, far more scalable. We're seeing you know a, a extraordinary throughputs on on processing for large databases, particularly when there's complex uh, analytic processes being run. Um, but again, it's it is an engine that, for processing in memory. Uh, and frankly, we don't care where the processing does occur. If someone wants to push business logic from the ultra If UI back into uh, Redshift or Teradata or Snowflake or uh, SQL Server, we'll allow you to do that. Uh, but it, it but it makes the the it, it provides the horsepower that analysts need. Now that we've liberated data across their enterprise, they don't always have to uh go with the server. Although I will say that the the purpose of rolling out uh the the analytics hub was intended to get people to adopt server earlier. And of course the AMP engine is shipping with uh server, uh hub, um and designer.
5: Got it, got it. No that 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 is that is helpful and again pushing the technology back, wherever you're gonna use it seems like a really useful sort of um, incentive for others to sort of expand usage. I just want to touch quickly on ADA. When, when you think about sort of the automation piece here, you think about RPA, and you think about, hey, I'm going to connect a bunch of things, and there's a one-time use case, and there's multiple times sort of re that in- integration. How do you think of of so where RPA sits in next to you guys, or is that sort of a totally separate space? But, but it feels like RPA hasn't really adapted to analytics much, but it feels like it could be a good sit here synergistically, just trying to think through that process. Thank you.
2: Uh, great question. I, I think that the the corollary of RPA to the automation continuum is, is similar to visualization to the analytic continuum. Uh, the automation vendors are, I think, really important for uh, organizations around the world to understand uh, the impact that automation can have and for us, we, we actually tend to automate more sophisticated, complex processes. The, the partnership we have formed with UiPath is really very nice. They've built uh, some, some capabilities that allow you to execute bots uh, uh, in Alteryx as part of an analytic pipeline, both at the front of the pipeline to go uh, get some data, let's say, and, and at the end to go do another activity. And, and so uh, there'll be some some joint activity with with UiPath. We'll probably see some announcements here uh, very soon. We're we're excited about the the RPA space. It opens up the aperture around the third leg of of APA, and that is uh, a focus on automation.
5: Got it. it. Right, thanks, guys. Just connect again, and thanks. Take my question.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Rishi Jaluria with DA Davidson. Please proceed
5: with your question. Hi guys, this is Hannah Rudolph on for Lushy today. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, first, Kevin, maybe could you walk us through the factors that are contributing to the delta between ARR growth and
1: revenue growth?
3: Yeah, sure. Thank you. It's a great question. Um, if, if you remember, we've 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 spoken for quite some time. Uh, our revenue mechanics and ARR are you know disconnected. Uh, revenue is driven by Bookings, which is T C B and an upfront portion based on product mix, and ARR is really just the accumulation of, of ACB over time. So uh, the two are, are, are very disconnected uh, in that regard.
5: Okay, great. And then second question, um, how long do you expect it will take to get these newer sales reps back up to the productivity
4: levels you would hope they'd be at?
2: Uh, well, it's progressing pretty quickly. Before COVID, we started down the path of modernizing our enablement uh, systems. Here, as you know, we we typically front load our our quota carriers at the beginning of the year. Um, you now, had we been able to predict COVID's emergence, we might not have hired quite so many. Uh, but we were right in the in the mix of modernizing the entire enablement process, and uh, we are on phase two of that process, and so. It won't be too much longer before we see them uh be productive back to historical levels
1: great thank you
4: thank you our next question comes
0: from mark murphy with jp morgan please proceed with your question
4: hi it's adam berger on for mark murphy thanks for taking my questions um so for one is there any additional color you guys can provide on the difference um, just in the general macro, um, I guess, from a pipeline perspective, between April and June. Um, well, I I I think that the
2: primary difference was uh, as we went into June, uh, our customers and prospects were faced with internal headwinds of their own, uh, and uh, again I think that's why we we chose to use our uh, other playbooks to help them out uh, I, I don't think that there was i think I think there was some change in attitude but I think the process changed so that that, that attitude couldn't actually reveal itself in, in terms of deals being done
4: got it that's helpful color um, and second is there any additional I guess um, detail on like the on the investments you'll be making for your digital marketing strategy going forward?
2: Well, we've actually made lots and lots of of changes to it. Uh, Much of it was also planned pre-COVID. We've been investing in our community for uh, the last five years, and uh, we have a very, very active community. Again, we've, we've had a 68% improvement in the monthly active users on Community. And we know the impact that Community has on our customers, they, they tell us. Um, we help them get up to speed in the data science world. We help them socialize it to their coworkers. It leads to uh, more expansion. And when we come out of COVID, we'll see that uh, expansion, I, I suspect. Um, but we also have done a lot of, around new programs. In community, that would take the place of uh, on site um, uh, 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 working days where we'd go on site and have workshops with customers. So, everything from our discovery program, we have lots and lots of, of uh, people in our discovery programs. Our virtual solution center has gone over extraordinarily well. More than a thousand customers spend considerable time with our, our teams online. Uh, so, I think we've made the, the pivot to the virtual world uh, quite well.
4: Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Our next question comes from Brent Braylon with Piper Sandler. Please proceed with your question.
5: Hi, it's uh, Clark Checker. Brent, Being, I, was,
1: I was wondering if you could compare and contrast what you're seeing right now with what you saw in the last period of economic uncertainty. It may not be the financial crisis, but uh, what does that tell you about how long it
3: will take for spending levels to return to normal?
2: Uh, good question. Uh, I, I've been at this for a while. I've seen three, I'll even say four, of uh, these events, or this is my fourth event. Uh, this one's different in that uh, it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen next based on what media says and whether there's going to be people going back to school and back to, to the office and uh, whether it'll emerge again in a, a second wave. That part is a little uh uncomfortable, but, but you know, I, I think the long term is we believe in this space. Obviously, it's not going to go away. It, it's perhaps put a, a pause button uh, down, but uh, it's going to reemerge. And uh, I actually think it will be just as swift of a reemergence as we had in 2008. I, you've heard me say on many quarters that um, – in, in good times, people need data science and analytics. and bad times, they need them more. And it's a matter of time. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident that that in the end, we're going to win the APA category and we'll be the leader in the data science and analytics space. And we just may have to wait a smidgen longer. Perfect. Thank you. That's very helpful. And then, Kevin, I, I just wanted to clarify that contract duration remains constant
1: despite adoption licenses. And if so, does that really just reflect the low contribution on a dollar basis of those adoption licenses? Yeah, I mean, uh,
3: great question. So when we look at contract duration, it is on a a dollar-weighted basis. Um, And, you know, as as Dean alluded to, you know, the whole advantage of adoption licenses um, are that they're a low entry price, and they really give customers an opportunity to you know, trial a a large swath of of licenses at at a relatively low cost. So um, they they don't generally have an impact on overall contract duration. Thank Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Our final question comes from Pat Walravens with JMP Securities. Please proceed with your question.
1: Great, thank you. This is Joey Marincic on for Pat. Uh, Just quickly on M&A, I was curious, you know, is that still top of mind for you guys? Um, Just any color, how you're thinking about M&A right now? Thank you.
2: Uh, Sure. Thanks for the question. Uh, As you know, uh, we did our convert in 2018. We did our uh, larger convert last year. We did specifically to invest in the business and, in part, be ready for consolidation uh, in the space. We have pointed to accelerating consolidation for the last 18 months, two years, uh, I think COVID forces the hand of a lot of uh, uh, players that haven't found a product market fit uh, and who know that they have to be part of an end-to-end platform like ours. So we continue to look at lots of deals. Um, That said, good companies get bought, not sold. And so we're fairly particular about where we go deep in uh, looking at at organizations. But I think there is a huge opportunity. Our thesis is still around three pillars that IP is going to be important. In fact, the the last acquisition we made, Feature Labs, last uh, October, uh, we've already woven in their eval ML uh, engine, their their Python open source engines, into both our assisted modeling uh, product. Uh, and it is part of the same platform. It, it is part of the predictive server that uh, provides uh, auto-modeling capabilities uh, that will compete with the data robots and, and the H2Os of the world uh, starting next year. And so uh, inserting IP, buying IP is important. Uh, aqua hires, there's probably a lot, a lot more people that are available now, so Aqua hires might not be as critical. Um, but there's also opportunities to buy meaningful revenue streams uh, in close proximity to our
1: space. Great. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I'd like to turn the floor back over to management for any closing remarks you may have.
1: Thank you,
2: operator. In closing, I want to thank our associates, partners, and customers, not just for driving business performance, but for driving societal outcomes. Your efforts did not go unnoticed, and we take our corporate social responsibility quite seriously you heard about our success with the ADAPT program, educating nearly 10,000 humans that have been displaced as a result of COVID-19, and we are doing considerably more. Through our Alteryx for Good program, we have provided nearly 30,000 free licenses of our software to more than 2,300 universities around the world, teaching critical data science and analytic skills for the 21st century. And we currently support more than 500 not-for-profit organizations in dozens of countries needing our help, and doing good with data and analytics. Thank you for all you do. I am looking forward to updating you all on our business progress next quarter. Thanks, and be well.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's web conference. You may now disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation, and have a great day.